Is there anything you would have done differently? We reported a true story. Our colleague Brian Williams is back in Kuwait City tonight after a close call on the skies over Iraq. Controversial Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh and questions about Kavanaugh's drinking in the past. Sean Hannity, come on up, Sean Hannity. Today, Andrew Cuomo is having a moment. Hi, I am Chris Dyerwald. And I'm Eliana Johnson. Heck yeah, you are. Welcome to Ink Stained Wretches, where we break down what's going wrong, oh yeah, and what's going right with the American news media. Eliana Johnson, I missed your company. I missed being in person with you. It's good to be back. Uh, I agree. Oh, good. It's not the same. No, it's not the same. same. We don't do it in person. Remote is not Uh, not the same. Yes, I'm anti-remote work in all things. And I feel like we have so much to talk about this no, week. No, but before well, but before you before we launch into the front page, I want to send a public service announcement to the men of America. If you can't dress better to get on an airplane, stay home. I don't know what is going on out there. Chris, we need pictures. It was well, I'm not gonna be creeping on dudes in on the airplane. But it's for the listeners. But you know, flip flops wrong with flip-flops you can't wear you're an adult man you're someone's father you can't wear flip-flops <laughs> on an airplane i'll let my husband know you have to wear a shoe okay. and look if you want to wear is it, is it just on an airplane or it's in many 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 places obviously okay. these are the same people who are wearing hats baseball caps at dinner inside and you, probably also my the ter- the terrible feeling when you're like oh we're going out for a fancy expensive dinner and then somebody that i agree with somebody's like i'm like oh Thanks for wearing your Von Dutch hat here inside the facility. But just, guys, we're going to be in close quarters on the airplane. This is not if – you, if you need to rock your athleisure, because now guys are wearing – parachute pants have come back in through the side door with whatever these, you know, post-bird dogs, super synthetic, made out of recycled trash bags and puffin beaks or whatever. These pants, these ripstop pants have come back in. And fine, if you need to wear your athleisure, do it. But cover your feet up, okay? You're an adult man. Cover your feet up. I saw something yesterday. It, I would love to do a deep dive on, on people's fashion choices, which maybe we can do a whole episode okay, we can have- at some point. But... I saw the wretches wear while Prada. I was driving two people on the same skateboard oh. on the street. Oh, uh, unless unless you're in eighth grade and you're and you're dating and, and you're going. Steady. It was a man and a woman like <clears throat> hugging each other, but on the same. It was it was amazing. Maybe that's just you're jealous. Maybe you want Patrick to take you out for a skateboard ride. Maybe um, that's what's I going on. I don't think so. The no? skateboard would be the deal breaker. <laughs> I think. Fair enough. All right, Chris. We learned earlier this week that Trump, former President Donald Trump, is set to appear at a CNN town hall in New Hampshire where he will face off with Caitlin Collins. That is about six days from now on May 10th. And I thought CNN was like making a turn. I thought, you know, they're in a difficult position because Trump is representative of where a lot of Republican voters are now. Yep, he's the front runner for the Republican nomination. At the same time, I have a feeling that CNN's decision to do this amid flagging ratings yeah. is not motivated by journalistic probity. Yes. Yes. I, I have a feeling it is not motivated by that. It will rate. I am curious to see how it rates and it we'll will rate. and we'll follow up it w- on the- that. But what is your 
what is your understanding of or your take on the decision? So I think Trump's motivation is partly must be to stick it to Fox News. There must be a Fox component in this where it's where you're saying, oh, you'd like to have the extra three million views, but I'm going to give them to your competitor, CNN. I think that the, the pressure on, you know, Caitlin Collins, I, I admire a lot, and she has been through some stormy seas vis-a-vis Don Lemon over the past several months, and she acquitted herself very well. She came through it. And you can see her star power. You can see how, is this a person who eventually is a primetime host on the network? Like, you can see the future lay, laid out in front of her. But this will be extraordinarily challenging to do because if, and this is this this is the challenge that a lot of anchors have faced with Donald Trump. So she's got an audience there, and that will help because the some of the heavy lifting can be done by the questioners in the audience, and she can serve more as the convening authority, not the interrogator. But Trump will try to steamroll her, and he will try to steamroll the situation. And if what this turns into is a Trump infomercial, then CNN will get this short burst in ratings, but they won't be able to keep those viewers in the longer term, and it will damage her credibility. I think no matter what, this is destined to end up as a Trump infomercial. Yep. And But I think that, that is, there are two other factors that play into it, and they relate to some of our other items. This, this is tough because Trump's main competitor for the Republican primary, Ron DeSantis, is not engaging at all with the mainstream press. And that leads to this further imbalance. Look, CNN viewers know Trump. They know who he is. They know what he has to say. They don't really, you know, they have not heard from DeSantis himself. And I actually, and this this is CNN aside, I, I am starting to wonder whether DeSantis's refusal to engage in these ways is hurting him because Trump is getting, this is like an in-kind contribution to his campaign. He's getting, this sort of thing would cost a lot of money. He's getting it for free by going on CNN in primetime. And DeSantis is not availing himself of those opportunities. And, and, the, and you're right. And the, and the point that we're, I'm going to skip ahead one, we'll come back, but the Philip Bump's point at the Washington Post, there remains little value in broadcasting Trump's comments live. And from a journalist, so I don't know if I'd miss, be as quite as sniffy as he was, but the there, there, it's Donald Trump is not a person who we want. What does Donald Trump think? What is Donald Trump about? We know what Donald Trump is about. And by the way, I would say the same thing about a Joe Biden town hall, though a Joe Biden town hall would be very would be interesting in a different way to see if he could manage to would be fascinating. Yeah. To could he could he stay afloat through the process? But yeah, there's not yeah, reporters have had no opportunity to question Biden in this right. or barely any. And that would be newsworthy for Trump. He's had plenty of opportunities. I also think this relates to to our next item that Trump, according to reporting in The New York Times yes. from Maggie Haberman and Jonathan Swan, He's sitting out at least the first two debates or he's considering doing so. And that, to me, makes the CNN decision that came in the wake of this report all the more questionable because it demonstrates that he does not want to face off directly right. he, with other with the other primary candidates. Well, and that would be a service to the voters. He is choosing for a f- fora in which he has in which he can control the conversation. There's a Fox factor on this one, too. 
So we talked to on News Nation. Check us out. Yeah, at this, this Fox check, story is very interesting. Check us out at five o'clock Eastern time on News Nation. It's the Hill. But we talked to Trump strategist Jason Miller, and he was transparent about why you wouldn't participate in the debate. And by the way, I will point out Willard M. Romney and other Republican frontrunners in the past, Jeb exclamation point, did not participate in early debates. And I was begging, right? I was out there back in the day begging, please, come on. It's not too soon. You got to do it. So there is precedent for doing it. But there's another thing, which is who's got the first debate? Fox. Fox News. Fox News has got the first debate. So if Trump is like, eh, maybe I don't come to that debate. So how? So the soft Trump's retaliation to Fox for the Murdoch's effort to break free of Fox and and pump up Ron DeSantis, this will be a long and agonizing vendetta. And Trump, I I expect, will win it. And by the time we get to October, November, Fox will be doing infomercials for Donald Trump around the clock. I imagine. Chris, you had drawn to our attention piece in Semaphore. Oh, yeah. The headline of which is take Donald Trump seriously, not literally on fake news. Yeah. And this if you read this piece by Benji Sarlin, it fits a lot of this into into context and how. Well, here, I'll I'll read you a passage. The the comment this is talking about. This is what Trump advisor told the outlet that they hope to jumpstart a relationship with CNN now that the network is under new management. Going outside the traditional Republican comfort zone was a key to President Trump's success in 2016. Some other candidates, <coughs> Ron DeSantis, Meatball, are too afraid to take this step in their quest to defeat Joe Biden and are afraid to do anything other than Fox News. So just as you say, they're, 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 they don't want to face Ron DeSantis on a debate stage, but they do want to drag Ron DeSantis for, of all things, not going on CNN. So that's it. It 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 tells you the the phoniness of the fake news attacks. Harumph. Like Harumph. Speaking of debates, there's a Washington Post piece on the GOP, the the RNC's excuse yeah. me attempts to push aside the Commission on Presidential Debates, and the and I have a lot of thoughts on how the the debates are unfolding, but. The report indicates, despite multiple meetings with the RNC last year, the Commission on Presidential Debates has ignored the party's efforts to create an alternate debate system and is moving ahead with requests for proposed debate venues from colleges and universities. The group's leadership, which traditionally selects the time, place, and moderator for general election contests, say they have faced similar challenges to their authority in the past. -uh. Um, And basically, you know, the upshot of the article is that debates are going to proceed as they always have. I bet nah, I'm going to give that a. Okay. Okay. So what does Joe Biden need a presidential debate for? Joe Biden doesn't want a presidential debate. Jimmy, if you're an incumbent and you're not a strong incumbent, you don't want a debate. Donald Trump needs a debate way more than Joe Biden does. Now, I think that that ultimately points to why the debates will be held, that Trump will drop, the Republicans will drop their objections because Eventually, Joe Biden will say, cool, well, we wanted to do it. That we, we really wanted to play by the rules and have three presidential debates moderated by fair moderators, but you didn't want to do it, so we're okay. And that's. I think Trump will end up, if, if Trump is the nominee, he'll end up wanting to do that. That's what I'm saying. Yes. 
Um, and he and he will humiliate Biden by saying he's too old and too feeble if Biden doesn't accept the but challenge. What, but what I'm saying is, if so, Trump is trying to he's he is gaming the system and pushing on the Commission for Presidential Debates and through Ronald Romney McDaniel trying to create this this problem. But my point is, Trump does not have as much leverage as he thinks he does, right? Because Biden wouldn't want a debate. So Trump can't create an excuse for Biden to sit out the debates, right? The, the, what Trump cannot afford is for Biden to say, I wanted to debate, but Donald Trump wouldn't do it. And <clears throat> by the way, I do think that a, and it won't happen this time, but I do think, and I know I'm going to just get everybody all hot and bothered with this statement, but I do think a modified Lincoln-Douglas style debate system would be the correct one for presidential debate. I think the moderated debate is good for the town hall. I, if I if I were the C- commission for presidential debates, I would have one town hall. Where else are we going to meet the Ken Bones of the future? I think that I think the town hall setting is good, but I think that the moderated debate should be replaced by a timekeeper who polices the space, and then that they they conduct amongst themselves. I think it would be better and more useful. I will get to that. But I think the much more interesting story is unfolding around how the Republican primary debates yes, are going so. to unfold, because that's a place where there doesn't need to be any negotiating with the Democrats or with the official commission. This is essentially the RNC's decision right. about how to do this. And we only know who is moderating the first debate, but it does appear that there there hasn't been the same attempt to rethink the formats and part- and the no, and that- participation of the primary debates as there has been this general election debate to say like I'm not going to be surprised if CNN, NBC and ABC end up moderating debates news um, nation. which is which is in and news nation but I'm not going to be surprised if the big networks end up moderating debates with their star anchors and to me th- that's just crazy given the that the party has spent the last 8, 12, 16 years railing against of the and, influence and, of these outlets. But here's the thing. So let's and and the Republicans, I, I'm I don't want to say I'm I'm not going I'm not speaking out of school here. This is all stuff that's been publicly that is publicly known. The Republicans are trying to shape who does the moderating and how that goes, but there's a balancing test. So let's say that you got what Republicans wanted in twenty 16. In 2016, you know what Republicans wanted? Sean Hannity to moderate a Republican debate. What do you get out of that? What's the what what's the what what do you find out about the candidates? What do you know about the candidates after getting softball after softball lobbed at them? You don't get anything out of it. But you're you're saying there is no alternative to I, that's by not saying, what I oh, said. My argument is there should be some creative thinking about what the middle ground is here between handing debates back to CNN, which got its highest ratings sure. in history well, Trump's from already... the Republican primary debates. Yeah, and Trump is going back to the well, and Sean Hannity. Like, there are plenty of people who occupy a middle ground where they don't come from a place of, you know, vicious hostility to the candidates. Do you know any publications based perhaps in the Arlington, Virginia, that might have the, the wherewithal to do this? Can you recommend anyone? Look, this is the truth. Chris talking about the beacon yeah. is that what the I, I think the RNC is driven by the belief that 
the networks have what places like the Free Beacon doesn't, which is they have a television channel, they can convene an audience. Yeah. These things are very, very expensive. And so it is a tricky problem. Yes. It is a tricky it's problem. A, it's a tricky problem, but I, I, I think the biggest challenge that they're going to face is determining who gets to be on the stage and who doesn't get to be on the stage. I think that maybe not the biggest challenge, but the first challenge that they're going to face is how do you decide who's on stage? We had the idea at Fox a long time ago about we do a lottery system and have the ping pong balls like it was the lottery and they pop up and we'd pick the winners and have their little faces on ping pong balls and we'd have a selection show and that these people would be on the main stage and that these people would be on, as we like to call it, the happy hour debate, the early debate, early prime, and that we'd do it that way. But it's extraordinarily challenging because a let's say that the Republican field is ends up Maybe it's not a problem. Maybe the Republican field ends up being eight people, 10 people. And what's his name? Vivek. Ramaswamy. So like you got some, you got some hangers on out there, some people looking for the pub and you, you have a few of those folks, but you still only have eight or 10 candidates. This is the challenge. And I hope the beacon does get a debate because you guys would do a good one. The challenge would be for you. What's the criteria to get on that stage? The beacon, uh, the beacon, or any news outlet is not going to determine that. It's RNC determining that. Well, it should be. It, it wasn't before. Before it was the news organization that was doing it. And part of the that I did not know. That's interesting. So part of the advantage for the RNC in the pre-existing strategy in the DNC was they could say to the campaigns, "I don't know, call." Bill Salmon, call Chris Steyerwald. I don't know. You call them up, complain to them. That's their debate. So the RNC wants more agency in making these choices, but not ownership of the decisions. So, okay, so we're going to track. Okay. We'll see how this plays out, both who the moderators of the debates are and what the criteria are. We I, will keep you posted. I'm, re- I'm ready for it to be you. So I just want to include this wonderful, weird moment. Just look over the last couple of months. The FBI dealt with Twitter. They call it Twitter files. That was cheating. And then you look at Truth to Vote, where hundreds of thousands of ballots were stuffed in the ballot boxes. They were stuffed. My point to you is, if you're going to win this next year, in November 2024, you're not going to win it talking about what happened last time. But You've Nigel, got a, you brought it you up. Got, haven't you got a set of positive message? A hundred percent. You brought this up to me. I didn't bring it up to no, you. No, sure. You know, you mentioned sure. something. Yeah, 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 yeah. I said, look, it was rigged. Yeah. And I say that. I'll always say that. Uh, it doesn't mean that out of a one-hour speech, I'm going to devote half of it to this. I might devote 10 seconds to it. There is Donald Trump with the internet classic meme. Who do you think you are? I am. I. What are you you bringing this up, Nigel Farage? And this this is the this is the point about the challenge of friendly interviews for Trump. Trump actually does better in adversarial interviews. Totally. Because Nigel Farage is trying to help. He's trying to help him and be nice to him. And Trump is like, how dare you, sir? How dare you? I do think, I mean, that clip like perfectly exposes <laughs> the danger to Republicans. It's like, is, is this who the party is going to go back to? He is talking about the past, not the future. Why do you love the libs so much? Why are you, why do you love Joe Biden? Why are, why are you hiding Hunter Biden's laptop, Eliana? Stop. Stop. Speaking of. Speaking of. Speaking of poisonous oh, theories. Oh, we got a New York Times report this week, Chris. We're moving into our Fox News Tucker Carlson segment. And thank thank you to 
Nigel Farage and Trump for helping us transition. <laughs> the headline, Carlson's, Carlson's text that alarmed Fox leaders, colon, it's not how white men fight. Ooh. And he was describing a video of white white guys fighting. He well, they says, were attacking in it. The messi- in the message sent to one of his producers in the hours after violent Trump supporters stormed the Capitol on January 6, 2021, Mr. Carlson described how he had recently watched a video of a group of men, Trump supporters, he said, violently attacking an Antifa kid. It was three against one, at least, he wrote. And then he expressed a sense of dismay that the attackers, like him, were white. Jumping a guy like that is dishonorable, obviously, he wrote. It's it's not how white men fight, he said. But he said he found himself for a moment wanting the group to kill the person he had described as the Antifa kid. All right. I still don't think this is what got him fired. I, I, don't, I don't think it's good for him. No. But I don't think it's more controversial or offensive than the stuff he said very publicly. I think the lust for the death of the I mean look it's it's gross it's a gross thing no doubt but I think that it is one of many reasons there there were no shortage of reasons for Fox to fire Tucker Carlson right there was not a you don't need a everything was going so smoothly and then this happened I mean this text does not change the way that I see Tucker Carlson in any way in any way and I, I do think, like, the search for some sort of monocausal yes, decision is yes. ridiculous. And, by the way, like, who, who do you think is leaking all of these videos? They're going, it, Media Matters is ending up with these. That's, like, the bet noir of so there was the, news for decades. So can we, pl- can we play the Piers Morgan-Tucker Carlson exchange? Do we have that? Is, if we're going to talk about sex, I'd love to hit some of the fine points of technique. <laughs> But, you know, but it's your show. It's totally up to you. We can certainly talk about your sexual technique, especially after your tanning testicles last week. <laughs> Not mine. We're, we'll speak in more general terms, but I've got something to add. The other thing I wanted to add is that things like that are not offensive. They're funny. They're funny. And That's funny. Pierce they Moore- show two people with personalities going back and two- forth. I just find this it's it, impossible to believe the, he was the one where, fired. How about the one where Carlson trashes Fox Nation? I mean, it's great. Yeah, where he talks about no one can see it, the site doesn't work, it's a disaster. I don't I think, do think Fox the is, credulousness of the sites like Media Matters reporting these things is absurd. Like they also have to know better. Well, the, but these things are bad for Fox, not Carlson, right? The 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 Carl the the one with Piers Morgan, these two pinnacles of pomposity showing a, a human funny side you know busting busting bowls quite so with each other quite literally doing that with each other and then Carlson just bagging on what a what a you know flop Fox Nation is that those things I assume are coming from people friendly to Carlson I think it, that's entire, I think that's entirely possible yeah and I don't think it's clear and we actually got a piece of reader mail on the Tucker situation we that we wanted to read here instead of down below since it's related. This is from Alex Stewart in Chicago. And he says, hi, Chris and Aliana. Looking at the New York Times and Washington Post headlines and stories about the text that supposedly got Tucker fired, it seems like there's an outsider's weight given to one line demonstrating some Tom Buchanan-esque racism at the expense of Tucker's literal bloodlust. Do we think the racism is what Fox focused on or is that... 
just what outlets reporting on the story focused on. I did not find it clear from the stories. Call me old-fashioned, but seeing someone type out that they wanted to see someone murdered is much more shocking than a line about racial superiority from a guy that has basically been hinting at that for years. (laughs) Well, Mr. Stewart, excellent literary reference, first of all, with the Tom Buchanan poll. That's a good... Somebody went to liberal arts college, and I... Me too. Does it have to be one or the other? I think the, the, the whiteness stuff is more triggering for... I mean, the Times and the Post, that's what the, the that's what they trade in all the time. That's what they're talking about all the time. It I, is what animates so much of the hostility, or what the what Fox's enemies seize right. on and use as grist for the mill, and what advertisers, by the way, also are attuned to. But I already gave my view that I don't think it was either of these things. Well, I, don't, I, I think this was part of a long thing. And I will also say that when you read the text, it's not sympathy that you feel, but you see Carlson struggling with who he has yeah, become. Yeah, it's like candid in a very interesting way. Yeah, it's way. a weird it's a weird thing to send your producer, but you can see that he's struggling with who he's becoming and all of that stuff and it's, you know, there's a there's sadness in this. Chris, we turn now to our Supreme Court portion of the show, which we've needed for the past 3 or 4 weeks. Bring the gavel um, down. It, it is obvious that there is an orchestrated an orchestrated series of, I'm not going to call them leaks, but like there's some group in the background that's handing these things out to reporters. It's and, in the water. And yes, and the press is a willing accomplice in we'll this to, attack I, on the And Supreme I'll be obsessing Court. on this matter later too, so yes. The New York Times piece, like I'm not sure who decided to, that this was a good hit. The headline is, How Scalia Law Became a Key Friend of the Court. And it's George basically Mason, about how George, George Mason, Mason University's, University's Law School, School has a lot of Supreme Court justices, including liberal Supreme Court justices, but more often conservative Supreme Court justices teach classes for it. George Mason University's law school cultivated ties to justices with generous pay and unusual perks. In turn, it gained prestige, donations, and influence. What is that that you say a law school is trying to... The offense here is that it's not Yale Law School or Harvard Law School or Stanford Law School. How dare George Mason University... How dare George Mason University try to get more access and notoriety and get its law students' clerkships at the Supreme Court? Just sick. It's just just a sickness. My gosh. It's just... This is the... The lack of, I don't know where the authors Steve Eater and Joe Becker went to law school, but if it, it would be, I would, I would find it very funny if it was Yale because the, the credentialism and the, like, who, who do these people in Fairfax, Virginia think that they are and coming along and doing all this stuff? It's, oh my gosh. And then the, the scandal that they find in this is, but they're just implying that something's unkosher about this. But then they say, Justices Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and Thomas regularly used employees in their chambers to coordinate their outside academic duties, despite a judicial advisory opinion, which the justice say that justices say they voluntarily follow, that staff members should not help, quote, in performing activities for which extra compensation is to be received. And in a number of instances, the justices' co-professors filed amicus briefs trying to sway the court. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. In- are you scandalized that a clerk might have helped facilitate the clerk's Helping bosses? Helping him with the schedule, yeah. it's just shocking. I just, the, the, the corruption runs deep. It runs this deep. 
In late 2019, Justin, Justice Kagan emailed a George Mason professor who had clerked for Justice Thomas. George Mason, she wrote, seems a really good place to be. Justice Gorsuch may have felt the same way when the law school courting him in 2017 asked him to help choose the Italian city where for two weeks the following summer he would co-teach a seminar on national security and the separation of powers. A memo offering options including Padua, a first-tier city in a picturesque setting, Venice with its seven-mile-long sandbar known as Lido, and Bologna, Italy's most prestigious academic setting. In the end, the class would be in Padua, where the law school put up the justice and his family in what a listing described as an aristocratic antique-filled apartment in the heart of Old Town. A draft handbook for the trip emailed to Justice Gorsuch made clear that his teaching responsibilities would be limited to the mornings, leaving plenty of time for excursions, including visits to Bologna and Florence. Fantastico. Outrageous. The justice responded. Yeah. Fantastic. He used Italian. Outrageous. My God. Has he no decency? And Scalia is an Italian name. It's just, you put the pieces together, New York Times, and it's just obvious that the, we, our country cannot abide. This I don't know. Uh, uh, the, the, we're, at, deep corruption. we're at threat. We are, we are at threat from brown nosers at law schools. It's brown nosers at law schools that will bring the republic down. Fantastico. What do we have next? Oh. Oh, this, okay. Poll on the news media. Americans hate the news media. I mean, how many of these polls do we oh, need, Chris? Oh, now, come on. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. Hold, hold on a second there. You're cutting a little close to the bone to this old country bear here. So this is the survey from the National Opinion Research Center at the University of Chicago and the Associated Press and the soon-to-be-probably-renamed Robert F. Kennedy Human Rights Group. But the this talks about the... The new survey work out. A slim majority of Americans say they have some degree of confidence in the media's ability to report the news fully and fairly. Only 16% say they are very confident. 45% say they have little to no confidence at all. The study reveals the complicated relationship many Americans have with the media. A majority rate in-depth and investigative reporting is very helpful or extremely helpful for understanding the issues they care about, but they are more likely to say they regularly scan the headlines than read an in-depth investigative article. And while overall trust in the media is low, a majority of correspondents say the media is doing at least somewhat well in covering the issues they care about. Four in 10 say the press is doing more to hurt American democracy, while only about two in 10 say the press is doing more to protect it. An additional four in 10 say neither applies. And guess what? 74% in this survey say that the news media is doing more to increase political division in the United States. That's a lot, right? So I, I, I read you all of that because the context is people- It's also true. People have a fair-minded understanding and appreciation of the complexities and difficulties they have. Seems like reasonable expectations. And then this really accurate understanding of what the business model in the news business is, which is to use division to make profit to turn people against their fellow Americans and stoke those divisions in order to generate profits. Do we think that Robert Albritton's 20 million donation to train aspiring journalists is going to change this? This is from a semaphore report that indicates Politico founder and publisher Robert Albritton has already committed 20 million to launch the Albritton Journalism Institute, a nonprofit educational organization that says it will train aspiring reporters from different backgrounds and who have different views to create fact-based nonpartisan journalism on government and politics I love that is this both one. quote both empathetic and brutally honest. Just fantastic. Yeah. But how how would you describe your journalism? I would say empathetic but brutal is how I would describe it. It is it will cost I look, 
I don't want to be ungenerous of spirit, and it may be great. And I will find out more, and if there's anything I can do to help, I volunteer my services. I want to be part of solutions. But if it is like other such institutions, it will take quadruple that amount of money to untrain the people who go to this school when they do get into the workplace about how the actual work of journalism is done. Because well, except that I don't think that the current newsrooms are going to untrain it. I think these, first of all, like the best way to learn journalism is to go work in a newsroom. And yes, you don't start out writing the front page stories. You right. do some, you, you watch from observing. I'm just very, very skeptical that there can be a training institute that produces reporters who are then going to go into newsrooms and do better because the culture of the of these newsrooms is so noxious that you have to create new institutions that have a different culture that is geared towards honest reporting like no amount of training and sending people off into the world is going to is going to accomplish that would you say that you have both empathy and brutality i would say i have i i'm heavy skewing heavily on the brutally honest <laughs> This is one of my favorite things, though. So whenever you see one of these, you know, whenever there is a big free speech issue at a law school or an undergraduate college, the president of the college inevitably comes out, the president of the university comes out and says, we value free speech and diversity. And these two, they're not only, not only are they not in conflict with each other, they strengthen right. the other. And it's like, no, no, guys, like these are sometimes at odds. Right. The idea of competing goods that you would say that we don't have to choose between our yeah. liberties and our security. Well, we kind of do a little bit. We're supposed to hold those ideas in and competing goods are supposed to be balanced against one another, not ignored. But I will I I I do want to think of you as empathetic and brutal from now on. Vice hiding for bankruptcy? No surprise. We learn? Yes. No. Except the surprise well, this isn't even surprising but you know, the guy, Shane Smith, who founded Vice, I'm sure he's very 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 rich. Is that right? For having produced Something of no value. Have you ever seen the TV show, the documentary now? No. Bill Hader. It's magnificent. It's very funny. It's in the Guffman. What's uh, it called? It's called Documentary Now. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, the, and they, they spoof the self-serious documentaries. And there's one that they do that is a vice, that is a clear mockery of vice, where I think it's Bill Hader and Bill Hader and maybe Will Forte but they go it, uh, with the drug lord and they go they go inside the drug lord and they end up doing tons of cocaine at wild parties and everybody gets killed and it's very funny i recommend highly highly recommend documentary now chris up next we have elon musk's yeah new development which i actually thought was cool yeah he tweeted, rolling out next month, this platform will allow media publishers to charge users on a per-article basis with one click. Yes. This enables users who would not sign up for a monthly subscription to pay a higher per-article price for when they want to read an occasional article. Yes. Should be a major win-win for both media orgs and the public. I totally agree, and I, I think it's a great idea. I have wanted the iTunesification yeah. of news for a long time it and is. making it one click is great because i can't stand when i get sent to some subscription page and i have to log in and ugh. and and if the if the price is if the price point is correct right if it's 10 cents or 25 cents or whatever well, let's say dollar well let's say it was a dollar and so that means that i don't need a subscription to the philadelphia inquirer i love you philadelphia i don't need a subscription to the philadelphia inquirer but i might pay a dollar, or I might even pay two bucks for a subscription for an article 
that I really wanted to read from the Philadelphia Inquirer. So I think that this could have the greatest benefit for local and regional news outlets where you sometimes want to read something that they have there or a magazine, a special interest magazine. You sometimes want to read an article that they have there, but you don't want to spend $100 on a subscription and you won't spend $100 on a subscription. I hope that they can make this work. Finally, do we? oh, you have a wonderful style section item today. It's, it's, it's on the verge of style section, but before we get there, you would want to talk about the Dispatch's review of Ben Smith's new book, Traffic. Oh, yeah. Which, admittedly, I have not gotten caught up on this, and so we should do a follow next week when I when I do. Ross Anderson reviews Traffic, Genius Rivalry, and the Delusion and the Billion Dollar Race to Go Viral by Ben Smith. And I love the writing here by Ross Anderson at the Dispatch. The internet is violent, beautiful, awesome, awful and awesome. It has, com- it has completely warped, ruined, and improved the news economy, and I wouldn't be writing this without it. And, it, and I'm working on Smith's I, – I, I, I've not finished it. And there's a lot – and part of the reason I haven't finished it is that there's a lot in there, maybe a, a lot for somebody like me to get through. But I, w- I will say that the conclusion that Smith is said to be getting to here – which is about how we ended up back where we started, that after, you know, invite the, the demise of Vice sort of points to this, uh, as did BuzzFeed News and others, which is we got right back to where we started, which is big flagship tentpole kind of sites dominate the traffic, and we didn't have the revolution that we were told was coming. Style section, Chris. We kind of did at the beginning. That was Chris's complaint about, ridiculous complaint about men wearing flip-flops on airplanes. Oh, but but can I please talk about the Washington Post? I, I knew you would want to. Sent in by an alert reader I will, who I will not identify. But it is a front page of the Washington Post today, Thursday, with a gorgeous picture. I don't know if you've been out to California this spring, but all of the rain, it is amazing. It is beautiful. It is stirs the heart. You can imagine how people, when they first arrived, when, when European settlers first arrived in California, how Edenic it looked. East of Eden, indeed. John Steinbeck, East of Eden, indeed. So there's this amazing thing. And here's the Washington Post take on it. Bloom or bust. <laughs> Historic rains have blanketed California with wildflowers. Okay, that sounds good. Wait, but such kaleidoscopic events are under threat. So this, to me, is emblematic of the the problem at the Washington Post. And the problem at the Washington Post is the excessive worry and anxiety and concern that everything is freighted with. You want to put a pretty picture of the Pacific Coast Highway on the front page of your newspaper. If you want to talk about this amazing thing that happened, great. That's fine. Freighting it with climate. This would be this would be like the equivalent of this if you were doing it from a Christian perspective. If you if you had a, a newspaper that did the same thing from a Christian perspective, it would be like, oh, beautiful flowers have bloomed everywhere, but you're all going to die and the unsaved are doomed to an eternity in hell. You're like, well, it's true. It's true what you say. And the Washington Post, the reflexive desire to urinate on everything and say, but actually, it's really bad. This this thing that you think is good is actually really bad. I think this front page captures the prop the 
the cynical, dour unhappiness that seems to course through much of the Washington Post coverage. All right, that was a pathetic style section, but it does bring. But your obsession, but your obsession is stylistic. My my obsession is going to sub. Brings us to our obsessions of the week. The stories we can't get out of our heads. And Chris, in this case, mine is an event. An okay, event I can't get out of my head. The White House Correspondents' Dinner, which uh, unfolded last weekend, and the coverage of it. A lot. There is no event, no journalistic event, no event in Washington, D.C. that better captures the insularity of the news media and the self-seriousness of the press than this ridiculous event and the days of parties that surround it. And then the coverage of it, I saw in, there there were two things that amused me in Politico playbook. One was telling how many, I think this was playbook, telling how many parties Steve Clemens of Semaphore attended and he him saying he made it to 17 parties. This is not news you can use. This is ridiculous and absurd and it epitomizes the navel gazing of the mainstream press. And this was my favorite. This was my favorite thing. Okay. Okay. The crooked media party was so crowded that when Susan Rice showed up at the door, they told her there was no room. And she said that, but I'm a VIP and they came and got her. I mean, this is just news that is not relevant to what's crooked media. Anybody. It is the Obama bros uh, bros. media and podcasting company. Friend of the pod, um, oh, the and bros. I do think that the and by and and the Biden administration and all of his, you know, all of Biden's aides are attending all these events. I do think that the best thing Trump did was say, like, I'm not participating in any of this stuff. Uh, if and only he, he helped to take the shine off of it. If only he could have killed it. If only he Truly. could have killed it. Because I watched it happen again this year, and it was again. I understand young people. I understand free drinks. I understand foreign people who need and corporations that don't know it's sort of like why opening day in baseball is opening day like what time in the year should we do something in Washington it's like I don't know the weather's bad in the summer and maybe in the winter spring is good okay what's in the spring I guess the White House Correspondents Association's dinner okay fine but ugh, it's blah but I love Ian Murray of the Competitive Enterprise Institute said on Twitter climate protesters know where journos priorities lie this is from Politico. Meanwhile, the climate protesters who had aimed to disrupt the weekend's festivities made arguably their biggest splash by infiltrating and briefly disrupting the event, which was a brunch. One person who attended texted playbook, OMG, it was a whole thing. The protesters made their way in and then sat in front of the Bloody Mary bar. Police had to escort them out. Give me a break. Yes, yes. Give me a break. Give me a break. put, Put a little celery salt in your wounds. Because there it is. And what is your obsession, Chris? My obsession is ProPublica being bad. I'm obsessed with ProPublica not doing a good job. We've talked about well, it's also the New York Times and Politico. No, but the, the ProPublica on Clarence Thomas and Harlan Crow, and I want to further disclose that I am not impartial in this because I admire the heck out of Harlan Crow and to whatever degree But this, I'm impartial. To, to whatever degree that it does not embarrass him, I think of him as a friend. So I understand why I'm, I understand why I am not an impartial observer here. But here's the headline from Pope ProPublica. Clarence Thomas had a child in private school. Harlan Crow paid the tuition. Now, what would you assume from that headline? 
I would assume that Harlan Crow was paying the tuition for Clarence Thomas's child. But I did read it and think to myself, I don't think Clarence Thomas has children. That's what you thought because you know a lot of things. So, but then you go to the lead and it starts to come undone right away. In 2008, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas decided to send his teenage grandnephew, I'm sorry, what? Grandnephew? That seems somewhat removed. To Hidden Lake Academy, a private boarding school in the foothills of northern Georgia, the boy Mark Martin was far from home. For the previous decade, he had lived with Justice and wife in the suburbs of Washington, D.C. Thomas had taken legally legal custody of Martin when he was six years old and had recently told an interview that he was, quote, raising him as a son. Tuition at the boarding school ran more than $6,000 a month, but Thomas did not cover the bill. A bank statement from the school from July 2009 buried in unrelated court filing shows the source of Martin's tuition payment for that month, the company of billionaire real estate magnate Harlan Crow. So the idea here is that what you are invited to believe is that Clarence Thomas's son was that Harlan Crow was paying the tuition for Clarence Thomas's son, not that Clarence Thomas had taken in a relative, taken in a relative kid and was helping him out, and that in a similar spirit of charity, Harlan Crow was helping this kid out. That's not what you were invited to believe. What you are invited to believe was that this is some sort of indirect subsidy to Clarence Thomas and that this is further evidence of the corruption. And uh, on Morning Joe, on a bunch of places, this was being held up today as it just gets worse. It just gets worse. There are no standards anymore. There are no standards anymore. This is not scandalous. It's not different. It's not interesting. I, I think at this point, do, do you remember, I think it was last week, there was an incremental advance on the story where something that Harlan Crow was tangentially related to came before the Supreme Court but it wasn't really a never mind. But I think we'll point it out anyway and make a big deal out of it. I think it was the Post. I forget who it was. The incremental story we also had last week was they're widening the aperture outside of Thomas. Yes. And we got the Neil Gorsuch yeah, followed we, all the rules I, in his the, disclosure of a property that he sold to the head of a but major many law Many people firm. think it should have been yes. illegal. Many people. It was not yes. wrong. It did not violate the rules. But many people think it should have been. And this is, and I am not... I'm not prone to hyperbole, but I do tend to agree with the people who say that much of this stuff is revenge from a media outraged over the reversal of Roe v. Wade and that the anger at the reversal of Roe v. Wade is fueling the, and I'm sure they believe it sincerely that the court must be corrupt. The court must be wrong if this is what they decided, but leave Clarence Thomas's grandnephew out of it, guys. I think, to take one step back, I do think there's a big Democratic infrastructure mm -hmm. that is outraged by the success of the Federalist Society and of Republicans. Oh, yeah, they had that whole a, hit piece on Leonard Leo a, the other day. In getting a majority of justices on the court, and this is, you know, a half-century-long effort, basically. And I... Sure, you know, the media is angry about Roe, but I do think that Democrats, because they are unlikely to have a majority on the court for many years, they must undermine, delegitimize, raise questions in the minds of Americans about every, both about the individual justices and therefore about every decision that comes out of the court since these people are corrupt and not making yep. their rulings based on their principles. Harumph. Now you're harumphing. That was a good harumph. That was Steyer Waltian in its harumphitude. Um, 
we've made it to my favorite section of the week, which is reader mail. Reader mail. And we have a note from Victoria Barons in Hillsboro, Missouri. Oh, I know Hillsboro. Dear Eliana and Chris, I've listened to your podcast since its inception. I was delighted to discover that it's much more fun than the earnest conservative criticism of liberal media that started to seem stale, if accurate to me, at least 10 years ago. Say I have a suggestion for the Say Something Nice segment that would be particularly appropriate for Chris. The St. Louis Post-Dispatch is a very liberal newspaper, but has provided extensive coverage of the disaster that is the office of St. Louis City's progressive prosecutor, Kim Gardner, and she sends along a story. Finally, the niggling criticism. Eliana, at the end of the podcast, you say, that is all the time we have left for the news about the news. The word left serves no purpose since there is no Dang time on, left. on, Victoria simple, Barons. all the time we have for the news. And you know what? She's correct. Dang We're going to take Victor- that to heart. Wow, Victoria Barons. I Yeah. You're what what what's our what's my tagline for today? Empathetic oh, you know but brutally funny? honest. Our uh, I I see in our script down here is just and that's the news about the news. So I have been inserting that improperly. Well, that is what I said. Victoria Barons, you are Now that's as I recall, Hillsborough is down by Festus, Missouri, and I wouldn't be surprised if there is a very good there's some very good students down in Hillsboro with with keen ears. Don't be surprised working at a paper like the St. Louis Post-Dispatch and other big city newspapers. Don't be don't be so surprised because what's the number one bias that reporters have? Conflict. Conflict. Yeah. We want the conflict. We want to go where the conflict is. That's what we want to see and that has been a doozy of a story in St. Louis. And the Post-Dispatch is doing a good job covering it. So thank you for passing it along. And please, Victoria Barons, pray for the St. Louis Cardinals. Please pray for the St. Louis Cardinals because I can't take it. I'm really reaching the end of my, like, my the cheerful, the whistling past the graveyard that I had as I think they've won two out of 20 or something. It's been a really grueling streak. And so, Victoria, send good mojo up the, the mighty Mississippi to the Birdos, please. Chris, we come to your favorite time of the week. When I am forced to say something nice and no problem for me this week, but but lead me by example here. In a surprise move for me, my favorite item comes from Politico magazine. What the what? But here it is by Derek Robertson. My descent into TikTok news hell. I spent an entire day falling further and further further down the app's rabbit hole only to find something disturbingly familiar at the bottom. And I want to credit Derek Robinson and Politico magazine for doing they I you can see here they've captured the TikTok kind of scripts and fonts and tried to recreate for old heads like me what it would be like to be on TikTok and all of these things. And do you know what they found that was in TikTok the sinister thing at the heart of TikTok? The same craptacular hot garbage motivated reasoning, cheap rage inducement that is in the mainstream media. But like more, more, but personalized to you. Personalized to you. Yes. Finding your, the people who you hate exactly the most. It's really a, a bespoke sewer. It is a bespoke sewer. And here, I'll, I'll give you a little passage. 
The social media era has introduced an arsenal of psychological phenomena and classifications to our political discourse meant to help us understand better how algorithms play us. We seek out news according to our confirmation bias or thirst to satisfy pre-existing beliefs. We accuse our opponents of suffering from the Dunning-Kruger effect, overestimating their expertise while ensconced in an impenetrable digital carapace of ignorance. Nice. Our negativity bias makes every individual news beat an opportunity to catastrophize about climate change. Did I write this? Or the erosion of democracy or wokeness or whatever. TikTok almost invisibly subsumes this all into its recommendation engine. You don't have to think about what you're thinking about or how you're thinking about it. Just surrender to the feed and unconsciously teach the app how to make you like it. With its skillful flattery, TikTok is like every other social media platform, only better. One analyst told the Wall Street Journal that compared to YouTube, the algorithm on TikTok can get much more powerful and it can be able to learn your vulnerabilities much faster. It does its work seamlessly behind the scenes, outside of time, outside of context, outside of choice. It's very well written and and very well done. And I think most importantly, again, pointing out, and I want to keep pointing this out to you, Internet, it's not different. It's not different. It's not different from cable. It's not different from other things. It's just more tailored, it's sharper, it's more potent, it's more intimate, but it's the same jazz. But the Chinese are collecting your The Chinese, but I will point out, the Chinese are, can buy all that data and collect all that data. from. Every, so people are like, well, we'll get rid of TikTok, but the other top three apps on your phone are also harvesting data for China. So okay, har- double harumph. Without going down the rabbit hole on that, Chris. Oh, boy. Your, your network, oh boy. News Nation, oh boy. had... Ugh. My favorite item was the interview between Dan with of Dan Abrams of News Nation with Jeffrey Tubin, and we just got to play this without comment. Jeffrey Tubin, whose new book Homegrown: Timothy McVeigh and the Rise of Right Wing Extremism, is out now and getting excellent reviews. But let's talk now about your exit from CNN and what's going on in your life uh, since then. After, of course, this is the incident that occurred in 2020. Zoom. Masturbation. Now, former colleagues at the New Yorker were involved, among others. Subsequently, fired from the magazine. You left CNN. Um, what's life been like for Jeffrey Tubin? Well, let's talk about the, the incident itself. Yeah. It was it was a disaster in my life. Self-inflicted, self-destructive, and something that I will regret for the rest of my life. Um, I have no excuses. I have only apologies, which I have tried to offer to everyone involved, including very much my family, which was uh, terribly embarrassed by it. But um, it's now more than two and a half years ago, and uh, a lot has happened. Uh, And that is all the time we have for the news about the news. If you have a story you want us to talk about, email us at wretches at nebulouspodcasts.com. That's wretches at nebulouspodcasts.com. This has been Ink Stained Wretches from Nebulous Media, produced by Colin Chicola. Find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. Six stars. Just search for Wretches. Wretches.